God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the, the preaching of Stephen and the example he is to us. We pray that you would be with us and speak to us by your spirit as we reflect upon these words. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to dig deep into your memories and to think about a time when someone was really, really upset with you. And I don't mean just mildly annoyed, but someone, uh, a time when someone really uh, was so upset, they were completely angry with you. And I want you to, to think about that time, that example in your life. And I'm sure we all have had one or many of those, those times in our life. Now, there are three options for what was going on at that time. Uh, one option was that the, uh, the person who was upset with you was completely mistaken at the facts. What they were thinking that you had done or had said or whatever was completely wrong. There was no truth to the, the matter at all, and it was based on a lie, uh, based on completely false circumstances. So that is one example, or one option that was... Uh, for that experience. Another option was that what they thought happened was completely accurate. You actually did something that was really bad and you are fully aware that what they are claiming that you have done is exactly what you did do and you deserve to have someone angry uh, because what they are, what they are uh, saying that you did, you did that exactly. The third option is a mixture of the two, that they have some facts right, that you did do something or you did say something, but somehow in the midst of it all, that has been wrapped up in exaggeration and some falsehood, and that kernel of truth has been blown up into something uh, beyond what you can recognize as what really happened. And that probably is most often what is going on when there is conflict. In fact, I think this is what happens when we see uh, controversies in all areas of our society, whether they're political controversies or uh, something in entertainment or uh, anything else that uh, the media is reporting on. We hear that there's a big blow up. It's probably that third option, that there's that kernel of truth. Uh, something was said or done but it wasn't just left at that. It was exaggerated. It was made more than what the person actually had intended for that. And that it was the case for Jesus as well. When we look at his ministry, we see that there was ongoing conflict. And it wasn't completely undeserved. That Jesus didn't go out of his way to make everyone happy. Uh, he said and did things that he knew would get some of the authorities upset. So uh, Jesus was responsible in some ways for the, uh, the feelings that the, uh, the religious authorities had towards what he was doing. And yet when we look at his trial and what took place there, uh, it, again, they had to bring in false witnesses, very much like what we're going to see in, in this story, because they... The truth was not enough. They needed to take that kernel of truth of what Jesus was saying and what he was doing, and they needed to make it more 
in order for them to achieve the goal that they had in condemning him. And that's exactly what happens with Stephen. There's actually a lot of parallels between uh, the uh, uh, trial of Stephen and that of Jesus. And Luke, who wrote Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke, uh, intentionally wants us to see those connections. And we're going to see that that's exactly what was happening with Stephen. Now, this Stephen is such an intriguing, intriguing figure. First of all, I love his name. Just a, there's something to his name, just that it has a beautiful ring to it. I love it. And he is a really interesting guy. We saw last week that he was chosen to be one of the seven. Remember, the, the 12 wanted to focus on preaching and prayer, and there were needs within the church. There were people who had to uh, receive their, their uh, physical uh, taken care of. Uh, and the seven were responsible for that. And we saw that Stephen was one of those seven. He was someone who was filled with the Spirit and filled with wisdom. Now, here's the thing that's kind of interesting about Stephen. Uh, they were trying to free up the twelve to preach the gospel by bringing in these seven people who were going to take care of the physical needs of the congregation. So what does Stephen do? He goes out and he preaches the gospel. He basically goes and does uh, what the twelve were doing. Now, does that mean that he was uh, really bad at being one of the seven, or he was being really good as one of the seven? We can't really know. All we know is that there were probably many Christians in the city who were preaching Jesus, and Stephen was particularly good at it. In fact, he might have been too good at it because he caught the attention of certain people. And there was a particular synagogue that was hearing what he was saying, and they were very upset. And this created some conflict. Now, the, they brought accusations against Stephen, and we have to ask, were these accusations true or false? And the answer is yes. This is that third option that we were talking about. Now, we don't know exactly what Stephen was saying. We're going to see in the, uh, the next time we come to uh, the book of Acts, we're going to see a, a taste of Stephen's preaching. But at this point, we've not heard his preaching. So we don't know exactly what he was saying. But we can guess, based on the accusations, what he was talking about. They accuse him of uh, talking about the destruction of the temple and of uh, blaspheming the law, the Jewish law. And it is likely that he was talking about that. And the reason why that's likely is that, that uh, these themes come up in Jesus' preaching and they come up elsewhere in early Christian preaching. So we can guess that probably he said something about those things. And the early church had a kind of a complex understanding of the temple in that they saw Jesus in some ways as the new temple. He was the, uh, the fullness of God dwelt in him. Exactly what the temple was. The, the temple was not just a building for people to worship in. It was the place where God's presence dwelt physically. Uh, other early Christians saw the church as the temple, not the church building because there were no church buildings, but the, the gathering of believers that the Holy Spirit is amongst us. And so the presence of God is here. So this is the temple of God. And so they would talk 
about those things. And in terms of the Jewish law, there was an understanding that it wasn't just obedience to each commandment that brought salvation, but it was something else. It was wrapped up in Jesus and faith in Jesus and seeing him as Lord. So there was truth to what they were saying, but there was falsehood as well because the early Christians did not uh, say anything bad about the temple. They would actually spend a lot of time in the temple. Yes, Jesus had predicted that it was going to be destroyed, uh, and, and that was a prediction, and it did come true, but it was destroyed by the Romans. Uh, the early Christians spent a lot of time worshiping and praying in that temple. They did not look down upon that temple. And they respected the Jewish law as well. They might not have seen it as the source of salvation, but they saw God's character uh, revealed in the Jewish law. So it was truth mixed with falsehood. And that's where the accusations against Stephen came about. And we're going to see how that works out the next time we look at his story. Now, I would love to tell you that uh, criticism towards Christians ended with Stephen, uh, that the, uh, this group of people, uh, they came against Stephen, and uh, they got it out of their system, and no one has ever criticized Christians or the church since then, but we know that that is not the case. And it actually is the exact same principles that we have talked about here, that usually it is a mix of truth and falsehood. Yes, there are times where the church does something wrong, and uh, we need to uh, admit that and confess it and apologize for that and repent of that. There are times that we don't do anything wrong and we get uh, accused of something that we absolutely have not been involved in. And there are times when we do some things and it becomes exaggerated and it becomes misrepresented. And that's what, what happens. In fact, I can give you an example from the early church. I'm not talking about the New Testament, but getting into the second century. Uh, so just after the time of the New Testament, the Romans are trying to figure out who these Christians are, this new religion. It's, it's finally uh, moved beyond just being a sect of Judaism. And they're trying to understand it. And they're hearing little rumors of what Christians do. And it sounds really weird. And this is going to seem bizarre to you, but two of the accusations against the early church was that they practiced incest and cannibalism. And you think, well, how could they get that? That totally does not make sense. And yet they knew that Christians called each other brothers and sister. They, they saw each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of these married couples, when they were both Christians, they considered each other brother and sister, and they thought, well, this is strange. How can you have a brother and sister married to each other? Obviously, they were not uh, physically brother and sister. It was meant as a spiritual thing, but they saw that, and they misunderstood it. They also heard about their communion services and how they would take the flesh of Jesus, and they would eat it, and they would drink the blood of Jesus. And that sounds an awful lot like cannibalism. Somehow, they're, they're consuming... Uh, some kind of human. That just seems so bizarre. And so, of course, this idea of their brotherhood and the sisterhood in, in Christ, that is true. Uh, we see communion. We, when we practice communion, uh, we say that we are taking uh, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. But, of course, we don't think that we're actually eating flesh and blood at that time. And so they were taking a, a kernel of truth and turning it into something else. 
So what does this mean for us as a church today? We've got to bring this into to modern times. Well, uh, first of all, we have to admit that the gospel, the true gospel, is offensive in its own way. There is an offense that goes to the gospel. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying that no one else is Lord, not even ourselves. And that is deeply offensive. In fact, uh, back when Christianity started, that the deep offense was saying that Caesar is not Lord. But today, I think the deeper offense is by saying that we are not Lord. Whereas everything about our culture is saying that it's about you first. You take care of yourself. You take care of your own needs. You look after your own pleasure. It's all about you. And don't worry about who you have to step on to get to that point. And we are saying, the gospel is saying, that Jesus is Lord, not us. That is offensive. That we would submit our feelings and we would submit uh, how we live to the Lordship of Jesus. That is offensive. But there's a danger. The danger is that we would create more offense than the gospel has on its own. It's offensive enough by itself, but Christians and churches have built upon that and have added things to the basic gospel that have offended people, seeing certain people as being more deserving of the grace of God than other people, of having double standards, of uh, practicing hypocrisy, and all of these things. That makes the message even more offensive than it needs to be, and we need to avoid that. There are times that uh, Christians have a personal conviction. They feel something very strongly. And it's good to have those personal convictions. But when we try to impose those on others, especially when those convictions are not things that are found in the scriptures, they're not a part of the gospel, we try to impose that. We're creating offense where there need not be offense. We hold to our own convictions, but we should not be imposing that upon others. This is why... I really appreciate about C.S. Lewis, his focus on mere Christianity. Where the church gets into trouble is when we start pushing uh, certain aspects of what we believe uh, when it's not the core gospel. We need to get back to what the core gospel is. It doesn't mean that we don't have any beliefs or practices that go beyond that, but we need to focus on those things. We also need to spend time clarifying where there is misunderstanding. And so I have lots of conversations with non-Christians, with skeptics, and the attitude I take, this is the posture I try to hold on to, is that if someone wants to reject Christianity, that's fine, they're free to do that, but at least reject it with the true facts. I've had many conversations where they'll say, oh, the church is like this. And they'll say that the church doesn't care about the poor. All they care about is filling their offering plate and amassing wealth for themselves. And I know that that's not the case. Are there examples of televangelists who have built millions of dollars and haven't spent a cent on helping the poor? Absolutely, those cases are out there. But that does not reflect what the church is. I point people to a church like ourselves that spends a lot of our effort in trying to help people in need. And that's clarifying. Does that mean that that person who hears that message is going to then say, okay, well, I'm going to become a Christian? 
Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But if they reject it, at least they need to reject it with the true facts. And that's what I tried to do. Is Christianity offensive? Sure, Christianity is offensive. Jesus is Lord. That's one of the most offensive things that we could possibly say. The danger is that we make it to be more offensive than it really has to be. Stephen preached a message that was offensive. He preached that Jesus is Lord. He preached certain truths about the gospel, and that bothered people, but it wasn't enough to condemn him. So they wrapped up that truth in lies and falsehood and exaggeration. We need to preach the gospel. We need to preach it clearly. We need to preach the basic gospel, not all the other things that we think are important, but the basic gospel. And we need to be listening to how people are responding. Are they understanding what we're saying? Are they hearing something different from what we think that we are saying? We need to make sure that the gospel is clear. It's going to offend people, but let us not make it more offensive than it needs to be. Let us pray. God, we thank you for Stephen who went out and preached the gospel, even though he faced opposition. And Lord, we know that as we live out the life of Christ, as we live as the church, as followers of Jesus, that we are going to face opposition. We pray that the opposition that we face would be that which is based upon truth, that we would not add anything that makes the gospel more offensive than it already is, and help us to clarify where there is misunderstanding, that people would see who Jesus is, what the message is, what they need to do, and what that looks like. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.